Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. So tonight I want to bring you part two of this summer class called The Spirit-Filled Life. Last week's notes you have there, I want to just review just a little bit with you because I know it's, it's impossible for everybody to always make every class, but they are podcasted and you can catch last week's. It's up as of yesterday. It's been up for several days, actually, uh, on the podcast Forming the Spirit Within on your favorite podcast player or on the internet site. BradRileyMinistries.com. But I want to, what, we began looking and asking questions about the spirit-filled life. What is it? What does it look like? Uh, how do we understand it? And in last week's lessons, I brought to you a, I brought to you a kind of a definition, a working definition that I'm using for the spirit-filled life. Christianity in general is best understood as a life lived in the Holy Spirit of God, not a set of beliefs to just be believed. Okay, It's a life lived in the Spirit of God, in and by the Spirit of God, but not just a set of beliefs to be believed. It is a set of beliefs. There are definite things that Christianity teaches about God, about the world, about humanity and about creation, all of these things, but yet if all we do is ever embrace them from some standard of, well, I have to believe that or else, or I have to uh, embrace that or else, then we're missing the most important element of life in this world. So in a certain sense, this class is kind of existential tonight. We're Every week, we're talking about life. You know, the, the existential philosophers... I've always asked the tough questions, you know, who am I? Why do I exist? What is life? What's the meaning of life? Well, in a sense, we are asking those questions, and we're talking about those. We believe those answers are found in the life of God as given to us by the life of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. So in, in let me give you the, the uh, definition that I had last... <laughs> La well, before I do that, let me give you a quote. I started last week with a quote. You'll hear this on the podcast. Not a quote, but kind of, kind of a quote. It's a question that an old preacher was asked once by a man who said, Preacher, how much religion do I need to get into heaven? How much religion do I need to get into heaven? And when you hear that question immediately... We, we kind of smile and we kind of think, okay, so this person's looking for minimum requirement. You know, what is it? You know, but they're also at the same time, what they're saying is, I believe that I want or need to go there because I don't want to go to hell. So there's, a, there's this understanding of a heaven and a hell, heaven to be gained and hell to be shunned. But all that person is asking is, what's the minimum? I just want to get in. And that misses the whole heart of why we are in this world why this world was created, and why we're here. We're not here just to get into heaven. We're here to, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. The real sense of what life is is what we're talking about in this class. The real spirit-filled life. So the definition that I began, I gave it at the very end of the class, kind of after working through the whole notes, and that was this, that, um, find, read it to you from my, my notes from last week. It is um, the spirit-filled life is a life of God and or Jesus, okay, that we live mystically and miraculously. We mystically and miraculously participate in the very life of God. That is a deep thought. It's one we do well to just sit and contemplate for a while. 
The life that we live in the Spirit is the life of God being lived out through us. So there's a lot to unpack there. and that's So we begin to look at scriptures in the book of Acts last week and talked about clearly there were these 11 disciples. They came to... They came to follow Jesus, the 12th. By the time we find the book of Acts, it's down to 11 because Judas had betrayed Jesus. So by the time we get to this idea of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we have the 11, and it tells us that in the upper room there was 120 gathered together of believers. It tells us a few of their names, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, and, and other disciples who had followed besides just the apostles. And they gathered together because Jesus told them after his resurrection, but before his ascension into heaven, Jesus told them, go into Jerusalem and wait. Didn't tell them how long to wait. Didn't tell them exactly what they were waiting for. But he did tell them, wait, because in not many days from now, this is what Jesus said, Acts chapter 1. I think it's around verse 8. Not many days from now, you will receive power from on high. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in the entire world. That is an amazing statement. One that they had no idea what was about to happen to them. But on that day of Pentecost, which the Christian church just celebrated last week, last Sunday, uh, was that the day that we remember the Holy Spirit came and fell upon those people in such a way that he empowered them, he filled them from within. And we're going to talk about what that filling looks like over the next couple of weeks. But I'm just trying to give you a place where we began. Something happened, this filling of the Spirit that changed who they were. It changed how they looked at life. It changed how they looked at each other. It changed how they looked at humanity and the world. And... So there was the first couple of things that I gave three things last week that talked about what did the spirit of life look like, spirit-filled life look like. There was a three, there was a triune, a threeness, if you will, a threesome. Uh, and that triune, we got that from the book of Acts. Uh, and the idea was that, number one, in chapter two, it says they were filled with a sense of awe. After this experience of Pentecost and preacher Pete, Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are added to the life of the church that very day. It says that they began to gather together and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread together, which was kind of a sacramental uh, thing with the bread and the wine, the, to the devoted themselves to prayer and the, the fellowship of one another. So the three things that they really devoted themselves to that the spirit-filled life looked like was, number one, the sense of awe. Number two, a, a fellowship, a unity, a togetherness that hadn't been there before. And three, it says it was a very daily life, that every day they met together. That's an amazing thing. We, as Christians in the modern world, we don't meet together every day. We meet together once a week if, at best. Uh, most of us, if we go to church once a week. Um, you're the cream of the crop because you're here uh, in the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being here. Uh, you've chosen to meet together in the middle. It's kind of like what they did. They couldn't wait to get together and share life with one another, life in the Spirit of God. That Spirit-filled life was experienced both individually, and I mentioned that. It was what I said on the question last week, was it individual or was it corporate? Corporate means together as a group. It was both. Certainly they're filled with the Spirit individually, but it was witnessed and lived out in the life of the church, which was not just an individual life. It's a, it's a corporate life. To be a part of the church is to be a part of a group. It's the being. It's a, the Apostle Paul goes on to call it the body of Christ. Church is the body of Christ. Now, I say all that to left off last week. I didn't really have time to work on a scripture that was called, uh, that we found in the book of Acts in chapter 3. So I'm going to begin there tonight with week 2 in Acts chapter 3. And I want to look at a scripture. Uh, it's 
going to we're going to read just a little bit of chapter three, not too much, but a few key verses. Let me keep my pen in one of these others because we'll get to get to Ephesians a little bit later. Let me turn over to Acts three. So if you have a scripture, you feel free to turn to it. Now, in Acts chapter three. We pick up the story of the new church that is filled by the Spirit and all these believers that are filled by the Spirit. Peter, James, and John are walking up to the temple steps. They're walking into the temple, and they see a beggar, a lame man who's begging for alms, who's been there probably all of his life. And they walk by him, as they've no doubt walked by him all their lives, but they see him differently because they're now seeing through the eyes of being Spirit-filled. And it tells us there that Peter stops and Peter speaks to him as the man asks for money. Peter says in in verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And we're introduced to this thought of the name, the name. You can circle those words, the name. What does it mean that Peter says, in the name of Jesus? So, the man does. He rises up and walks. He's healed right there. Peter doesn't, it doesn't say that, uh, it doesn't say that, uh, that he did any more than speak those words. It says he, then after he spoke those words, verse 7 says he took the man by the right hand, lifting him up, and immediately his feet and ankles received strength. So he started leaping up and down. He started walking. He entered the temple, praising God, telling everybody what had happened. Everybody, it says, was amazed. Now, in verse 11, it says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, All the people ran together to them out in the porch area, which is called Solomon's porch, and they're all greatly amazed. And so Peter, when Peter saw it, he responded. He said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this or look so intently at us as though, meaning us, meaning Peter, James, and John, okay? Why do you marvel at this and why do you look so intently at us as if, Through our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, who glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in his presence, in the presence of Pilate, and he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life. He's talking about Jesus now who he calls the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead and which we are witnesses of, and in his name, verse 16, and in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now healed before you. So what is Peter saying? Peter is saying there is this new phenomenon. Nobody's ever healed people in the name of God at this point that they're used to. Okay, There are people that were healed of things in the Old Testament, of course, by uh, certain directives of God directing somebody to do this. But them just walking, these, these, young, these men walking down the street, walking into the temple, and they, they stop and they see a man they've always seen as lame, whom they never offered to heal before, and now they offer to heal him. Would you be amazed? I'd be blown away. I mean, we live in this 21st century. We don't expect those kind of miracles, do we? Part of what we want to tackle in this life, in this summer class on the Spirit-filled life, is is as we go work through it week by week, we want to tackle this idea of why. Why does the church today not have the same expectation and the same, seemingly the same demonstration of power that it did then? What has changed? And we're going we're gonna to explore those questions. Can't answer all that tonight. But be thinking about it. Because it's my, it's my opinion, and you'll see it as the summer progresses, as each week of the class goes by, it's my opinion that God 
wants us to live in that power. He wants the church today to be just as powerful as it ever was. He wants the disciples of Christ to be just as powerful as Peter and James and John were. That includes me. That includes you. So we're back to the question, why aren't we? I think it has a lot to do with what we know or don't know about what it means to to live life in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. So that's why we're kind of dissecting this and taking it apart. Because in churches of all persuasions, you hear those words, you hear those, those thoughts of just being filled with the Spirit, but what does it really mean? So it begins with something. It has something to do, we know, with the name of Jesus. The name, uh, the Apostle Paul says later on in the book of Romans, that the name of Jesus is the name above all names. He says that it is in his name that we, mu- that we alone are saved. So Peter is saying, don't be amazed. Why would you be amazed? Don't you believe God can do anything? That's, that's what he's saying. Why are you amazed? Well, I think they were amazed at Peter, James, and John. That's what I think they're amazed at. Because Peter, James, and John were, a few weeks ago, just fishermen. Now they're doing miracles like Jesus did. That's a big change. Big change to go from just fishermen. Ragtag band that had followed Jesus around for three years, and now they're doing miracles. And this whole book of Acts is just filled with miracles, amazing miracles that we'll see that are demonstrated as part of the Spirit-filled life. So we're going to ask some questions tonight about the name. What is the name? Well, the holy name of God is, as you look on your notes there under number two, the holy name of God is spelled, I spelled it out for you there, Y-H-W-H. What does that mean? Have you ever seen those terms? Have you ever seen that written that way? Y-H-W-H? Does anybody know what that is? It's, there's a technical term for it. It's called the tetragrammaton. Don't know why that is. That's what it's called, the tetragrammaton. Okay. But what it is, is it's a Hebrew word. Those are English letters to spell out a Hebrew word. Now, Hebrew as a language has no vowels. Okay. Hebrew has no vowels. Um, so, if we were to see that word written out in English... With vowels. So we'll start with the Y, H, W, H, the four letters that form the name. This is the Yahweh. holy name of God. Okay. What'd you say? Yahweh. Yeah. You can, you can start to imagine it when you spread it out, can't you? If I add an A right there, okay, and I add an E right there, Yahweh. Yahweh. They would, Jewish and Hebrew, you'd pronounce the W as a V. Yahweh. Okay. So now we hear the name of God. Now, this name was so holy, the Jewish people would not even speak it. Okay? They never spoke that word. Ever. They also didn't like to write it because it's just too holy. There was built into the faith of the Hebrew people, which we, the Hebrew language, the Jewish people, was this incredible respect for God and his name. So they created other names. Okay, the other name that they use most of the time if they're just speaking or praying for God, the holy name of God is you may know. Begins with an A. A D O N A I. Or yeah. Adonai. Adonai. That's right, Adonai. That is the name that means Lord in the Hebrew language that means Lord. Okay. So Lord, they would call Lord. If they're praying, like one of the most famous Jewish prayers of all time is, is this. It's, they're all, almost every Jewish prayer starts this way. Baruch atah Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai. Eleheinu. Melech haolam. Now my Hebrew's terrible, but I'm trying my best to make it sound. You know, got to get that throat. Got to get that throat so it kind of spits out those H's, you know. Baruch atah Adonai. Eleheinu. What did I say? Anybody want to? T- I'm not speaking in tongues. This isn't Pentecostal. Okay. What did I say? Anybody know what I said? No? 
Anybody want to take a stab at it? Lord God of Israel, thou art one. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Close. It's, what I said was this. I said, blessed are you, Lord God, king of the universe. That's what I said. Blessed are you, Lord God, king of the universe. That's how almost every Jewish prayer starts. And then it would flow from there. Then they carry on with the prayer, whatever it is, you know. But they always start, blessed are you, Lord God, king of the universe. So when it says that Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and he prayed or he blessed, the story of Jesus with the, uh, with the Last Supper, you know, the institution of the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, where he says he picks up the bread and it says, and after he had given thanks, that's what he was praying. He was praying, Baruch Aronai, Elohenu, Melech HaOlam. And I think it carries on... Uh, well, I know the cup, the cup prayer for the cup. Bore pre hagaven. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth fruit from the vine. You know, you know the, I can't remember the phrase for bringeth forth bread from the earth. but So you could get the idea. What is happening here? The holy name of God is being, it's being felt, it's being called upon without even speaking it because it's so holy. So, when we come, and this is how Jesus lived his life. This is what he modeled in prayer before his disciples. In English, we, we, that is not carried through 2,000 years later. It didn't carry over into Christianity, and it didn't carry through 2,000 years later. Because we use the name God all the time. We use the word God all the time. We, we use it, sadly, in very defaming ways. Um, I mean... It's so into our culture today. Everywhere you go with the texting and the uh, the, uh, the the letters, OMG, OMG, it's everywhere. People just say it now, OMG. Well, the reason I can I can excuse that a little bit because it could mean, oh my goodness. <laughs> we know that usually it means that people are thinking, oh my God, that's what they're thinking. Oh my God, if something happens, oh my God, you know. Well now. Are we being careless with God's name when we say that? Really, I think we are. So we have to be really careful with how. I, I love the fact that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, had such a respect for the holy name of God. They wouldn't write it, wouldn't speak it. But there are many other words to describe the name of Yeshua. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. You know, um, But it was just this one reserved word. So I, I digressed a little bit to teach you a little bit about the name because I want to talk about names. What is in a name? What is in a name? In the play Hamlet, Shakespeare said this uh, through the character Hamlet. He said, to be or not to be? To be or not to be? That is the question. You guys ever read any Shakespeare? Have to force to in high school literature class probably. I love Shakespeare. I mean, I can't speak it. I'm not real good at speaking Shakespearean Elizabethan English, but but the prof, there's a lot of profound things in Shakespeare's work. So when Hamlet said to be or not to be, that is the question. Now there was a long, he was beginning a long soliloquy, a long speech in that um, that actually talks about death and life and contemplating suicide and all kinds of things. Begins with to be or, to be or not to be, that is the question. He didn't I'm not sure how, what Shakespeare was thinking when he wrote it, but it was pretty amazing because the truth is that's exactly the thought here. God is, what this name means, this Y-H-W-H, what this means, if we could translate it into English, that name means I am. I am. God is stating by, by having the name I am. Remember when Moses, you might remember the story, Moses, the burning bush, Moses asks, who is this? Who are you, Lord? Who am I tell him you are? And God says, I am that I am. I am means I be. That's not proper English to say I be. So if Hamlet's saying to be or not to be, the answer is I be. Okay, my answer is yes, to be. Because being is present. It's here. Okay, but God, here's what we need to understand. God is the only eternal being. Well, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in the 
are eternal beings. If you think of three persons, but yet they're just one in being, undivided, the Holy Trinity. So God is the only eternal being. You and I are not eternal beings. We're born in this world, and we're going to die in this world, right? We had a beginning, and we're going to have an end. Now, our life's going to carry on. Our life is our life is eternal, but our person isn't. For the temporary, it's going to die. Okay, the body here is going to die. But in this process of being, God can say, "I'm the eternal being, and I I am the only eternal being." And that's why when Jesus later on in the Gospels, when Jesus is often asked uh, things, questions, he uses this phrase. Uh, people would ask him, "Who is he? I am who I am." I am that I am. And when he would say that, they would get so mad at him because they knew he was using God's name. And Jesus says, I am. Wow, yeah, that's like saying, hey, I'm God. Okay, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. I'm God when he used those words, I am. So the holy name of God, the holy name of Jesus, the holy name is something that we don't really grasp today. But let's think about the importance of names. Because Peter says it's in God's name that everything is done. Peter says, why do you marvel? It's in the name of God that he was healed. Specifically, he says the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's being real specific. In the name, when he, when he healed the man, spoke the words of healing, he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay. And then when he's talking to the later to the people that are marveling, he says, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of our fathers glorified, who glorified his servant Jesus. What, what is he saying there? He's saying that this is the eternal God. Jesus Christ is the eternal God. So I have a video clip I'm going to play here in just a second. Okay, it's from another Shakespearean thought. Tonight's our Shakespeare night. Okay. When I ask you what's in a name, that's another quote from Shakespeare. What? So what's in a name? Anybody, you get extra points if you know what that came from. What's in a name? Anybody name the Shakespearean play that that line comes from? Uh-uh. You know it, Sylvia. No, you can't either? Nobody? Okay. It's from Romeo and Juliet. What's in a name? A rose by any other word would smell so sweet. Remember that phrase? Was Juliet? We're gonna talk, we're gonna watch a little clip of it here in just a minute. Okay, from the, I, li, I like the 1968 movie that that was so well done. I think uh, it's been made many times, but what you're gonna see the clip of is the 1968 movie of Romeo and Juliet. But I want you to be thinking about some things before you watch it. Okay, I want you to be thinking about what is in a name. Why are names so important? Um. I'm going to pick on Candy since she's here. Candy has a sweet name. Okay, Candy. Okay, with a name like Candy, you you could not be a mean person. You just, it's, it's not allowed. You can't do it. Not with a name like Candy. Um, there are other names, you know. Brad, I don't even know what my name means. You know, Brad. You know, I don't know. Where, where did, who decided what all these names mean? Well, believe it or not, in Biblical days, names had meanings. They really did. And, and in lots of cultures, they still do. And people choose the names for their kids based on, sometimes based on meanings. Sometimes they choose them based on popularity. Sometimes they choose them. I remember when we had our first child, we bought a book of names. There's a whole long list of names. I mean, a whole book full. And we're going there trying to figure out, well, we're going to name our child. Well, we think it's a, it's a boy, maybe this or that. You know you know how it is. Maybe you remember some of those days if you have children. And you remember you might have said this one and your spouse said, oh, no, not that one. <laughs> why? So then you ask the question, why? Well, because that reminds me of so-and-so, and I don't like so-and-so, or we don't want them to think. <laughs> See, because just the name, just the name reminded us of something. That was either positive or negative, okay? So, and then we live in a culture today where people make up names all the time. They just bring hybrids together and make up stuff. They're actually, we're going through a little fad right now where old names are coming back. Names like Henry or Ethel or, uh, what's another one I saw recently? Hazel, Adeline. 
You've got a granddaughter named Adeline. These are older names, you know, from bygone uh, decades and years, but beautiful names kind of recircling, coming back. It's kind of cool. So um, let's, let's watch this clip, but let's be thinking about this. What, what is in a name? Why is it so important? Because Romeo and Juliet, you know the basic story. It's been years since you probably thought about it. But there's a problem with their names. Okay? Let's watch it. I'm going to hope that it carries over into the podcast. I've got my uh, stuff here, so bring it back to the beginning. I had it cued so that we wouldn't get any poor ads or anything. Sometimes you play a live YouTube. You never know what you're going to get, right? Um, so let me bring this up and hit play. Not to me she speaks. Two of the fairest stars in all the heavens, having some business, to entreat her eyes to twinkle in their spheres till they return. See how she leans her cheek upon her hand. Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand that I might touch that cheek. Ah, me. She speaks. Speak again, bright angel. Oh, Romeo, Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, be but sworn my love and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Shall I hear more or shall I speak? <sighs> Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though, not Montague. What is Montague? It is no hand, no foot, no arm, no face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which you call a rose. By any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Romeo doth thy name, and for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. <laughs> <laughs> I take thee at thy word. <gasps> Call me but love and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. Now, I'm not sure, but I may be the only Nazarene pastor to ever use Romeo and Juliet in a class on the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to wear that like a badge of honor, and we're going to talk about it. Um, talk about, talk about what, you, what you heard in that conversation. Here's two star-crossed star lovers. They obviously love one another. They, they don't really... They don't have a relationship yet because they have this wall between them, and it's their family names that is the wall between them. And you can see it in Juliet, just longing for Romeo. Romeo's longing for Juliet, but there's a wall that they can't get over, and it's their names. And so what does Juliet begin to start thinking? She asks the question, what's in a name? Why do we have this problem? What, what's a name anyway? It's just a name. Oh, you tell me that's a rose? Well, by any other name, it's still going to smell like what it smells like, right? So she's trying to think very existentially here. Why the problem with the names? Um, what did you hear from her? She offers a solution. To the problem. Did you catch her solution to the problem? I have a benefit because I've been watching it several times over and I just played it for you in a, in a spur of a moment there. But she says, at one point, she says, when she's thinking about Romeo and why he's a Montague and she, she's a captain, what do we do? She says, deny thy father. 
deny thy father, or else I'll deny mine. I'll never be a Catholic again. Apparently the problem, the, the hatred between these two families was so deep and so strong that there was no future for these two. Uh, there's all kinds of spiritual parallels here um, that, that, I, that I'm going to stretch and make, okay? I don't know that Shakespeare was trying to make these parallels. But in Juliet, I kind of, can you see a little bit of, of uh, the father in, Ju- in Juliet? I'm choosing Juliet because she's the one that spoke first. She's the one that seems to be the pursuer here in a, in, in a thought process. Romeo's just like, wow, she's beautiful. Look at her hand on her face. Wow, this is beautiful. And, and she's thinking it through. And she's seeking her love. I think that's the father. Father God seeking the love of his children. Seeking his, came to seek and save that which was lost. So I, I see a little spiritual parallel there. Um, Romeo at the end says, uh, just say the word and I'll be Baptized, he uses the word baptized. I mean, I'll be immersed in this new name of yours. Um, so I want to apply the idea of names tonight. God's name and our name. We want to be, to be spirit-filled children of God's name. In fact, I thought about it. We're actually somewhere along the line the name was name became very important, and that's why we're called Christians. Okay, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Okay, it didn't work that way. Jesus Christ. Okay, Christ was a title. Okay, but it became like a name. It was the name. It was his title. The Christ means in the Greek what? It means the anointed one. Okay, the word Christ means anointed. Okay, the anointed one. So the Messiah. It's to say that. By calling him Jesus Christ, he's Jesus the Messiah in Hebrew thought or in, in Jewish thought. Now, uh, so Jesus Christ, why are we Christians? Somewhere along the line, and it tells us it was in the city of Antioch. The book of Acts tells us that in the city of Antioch, people began to first be called, followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Now, let's write that word on the board so we can understand it here. The word Christian, okay? You see the word Christ, don't you? you kind of a, think of it as a hyphenated word. Christ, yen. But what else do we know about words like that? Well, how about this? How about uh, words in the books in the Bible? You remember this word? Ephesian. Ephesians, or Galatians, okay? See how Galatians, what are Galatians and Ephesians? People of Ephesus for Ephesians. People of Galatia, the city of Galatia, Galatians. So what are Christians? People of Christ, okay? Now, interestingly enough, that's not just people of, but the eon means little one. Little Christs. So what you see, even the name Christian becomes hugely important. Exactly. Connect the dots. We are to be like Christ. We're to become like little versions of Jesus Christ of Nazareth himself. How did he walk? That's how we're supposed to walk. How did he talk? That's how we're supposed to talk. How did he live? That's how we're supposed to live. How did he minister? How did he do? That's how we're supposed to do it. So this idea of a little Christ, that's our name. Uh, Jews. Jews were the people of God, right, in the Old Testament. Where's the term Jew come from? You know, they started out as Hebrew people, the Hebrews. And then it became Jews. What is Jew? Jew, Jew comes from the word Judea. The Judeans, where the capital of eventually of Israel became Jerusalem, which is in the area of Judea. And so the, a name evolved and they became Jews. Um, and they were labeled because of it. You know, 
so it's fascinating how these names. So what's in a name? Does a name tell us anything about a person? Does a name, can a name tell us anything about a person? Well, we already said that Candy's name tells us. If you meet Candy and know her for, talk to her for more than a couple of minutes, you know she's a pretty sweet lady. You know? So her name tells you something. Jerry, what's Jerry mean? Keep picking on Candy because it's the only name I know what it means. I don't know what Jerry means. Derek, I don't even know what Derek means. Uh, so I'm not a, I'm not a, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't. No, I'm sh- knowing you, I know that it doesn't mean that. So, so the, the idea is that God has given us an extension of his name. Okay. Romeo and Juliet were striving to become like the other because one was considered good and the other was considered bad. Now, in that story, they're both, you know, there's no true good. I don't know the Montagues. It's a fictional story. The Montagues, their last names were Montagues and Capulets. The Capulets thought the Montagues were evil. The Montagues thought the Capulets were evil. Okay. But in our story, there is a good and evil side. There's children of the good and there's children of the evil. There's people that have the name of their father, father, and that father's either the father of light or, as Satan has described, the father of darkness. That's a troubling thought to me. Am I, am I a child of the light or am I a child of the dark? Whose name do I take upon me? The name of God? Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ, Christian, or do I take the name of the world, which is Satan's name? So right away that makes us feel uneasy. Ooh, I don't like that feeling. It's either you're telling me it's as stark as that. It's either good or evil, bad or you know good. You know, it's God or yeah. I'm telling you, it really is that black and white. Jesus said, "He who isn't for me is against me." we don't realize how easily we can become associated with the evil of this world when we don't understand the good that is in the world. So we think we're just neutral. Oh, we're just neutral. I'm I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian, but I'm not evil either. I'm just going to be neutral. Jesus says there's no neutral, either for me or against me. And that's a challenging thought. It's a very challenging thought. Um, so I, I think the idea then is what does it mean then to be like Christ? Well, I think it means at the, at the bare opening, it means to have his spirit come within us and to be filled with his spirit in such a way that he empowers us to be like him. See, the truth is you and I cannot become Christ-like or spirit-filled on our own. We cannot do it. The Holy Spirit, Jesus made it very clear in Acts chapter 1, that you will receive power from on high. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All through the book of John, on a Thursday morning Bible studies, we're studying the book of John. All the, You'll find those on the podcast, by the way, if you want to listen to them. All through there, it, Jesus talks about the gift. Uh, the Father's going to give you a gift. So, this idea of accepting the Holy Spirit as a gift and accepting the name of our God as a gift, that's a pretty powerful thought, really powerful. The problem is, when we come to, when we come to understand that, we, it's fair to ask the question, what are we filling? What needs to be filled? We talk about the Spirit-filled life. What needs to be filled? What are we filling? We're talking about our very being, the emotions of our being, the soul of our being. And here's the thing, here's the truth. There is, and I'm going to have to erase some stuff on the board because I really, I'm not, even though I'm not good at drawing stuff, I think it's important that I do this. I thought about it earlier and I just didn't have time. Um, There's a great philosopher of the ages. His name was Pascal. Pascal is famous for having said this. 
He said, in every human being, there is a God-shaped void. A God-shaped void. And so I, I want to try and illustrate that for us if, if I can. I'm not very good at this kind of art. So who knows how it will go. But let's think in terms, okay, here's the human person, okay? I just draw st stick and balloon people, okay? Nothing really with map markers. This is the human person, okay? Oh, those lies look kind of evil. Better put a smile on his face. They still look like he's up to a mischievous grin. Hmm, how did I do that? Wasn't even trying to do that. Let's go more round. Now see how happy he looks all of a sudden? Okay, now, so here... I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to draw these letters out, kind of like bubble letters, okay? And what am I drawing and trying to illustrate here? Inside this person, this human person, is God. And this is how human humans were created. We were created, humanity, follow it all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve, created in God's image, in his likeness. Okay, there's something of God stamped in the human image. And it says that they had fellowship with God. It was paradise. They lived in paradise. But when, by their own free choice, they chose to sin... What happened? The story. You remember the creation story. What happened? This went away. There's no more God inside them. Now, a little bit is left. A little bit. Okay? A little bit is left because we can't take away the fact that they're created, that humans are created in God's image. So there is this spark of God's, and it's in every human being. But that void is still there. Okay? The void is still there. Um, I'm going to try and do it again. So now that void would have been better if I'd drawn this so that it, it was like this. Okay, It was originally filled. It was filled with God. But now because of the sin that separated them from God, what happened? The Spirit of God isn't there anymore. Okay, Because they're lost and they're separated. Now, what can I fill that void with? That's the question. So every human being on planet Earth that's ever been born and that ever will be born is going to be born into this world and grow up in this world asking themselves subconsciously until at some point existentially they ask the real question, who am I? What am I here for? What is my life about? What do I? What is my meaning? And what they're what they're doing when they're asking those questions, when we're all asking those questions, is they're trying to figure out what fits that void because it's empty. Every human being is born with an empty void. And what Pascal was trying to say is it's a God-shaped void. Only God fits it. So let's just use an example, okay? Let's use a, a biblical example. In the book, I give you a scripture there. In the book of Ephesians. Okay, let's read the scripture. Let's give you a biblical example. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is teaching about being filled with the Spirit, and he says this. This is verse 17. I'll just read 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for the things to God the Father in the name of, and there's that thought of the name again, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now that scripture has a whole lot in there that we can unpack that we don't have time to, but what I want to center on is the idea that the Apostle Paul is giving us an example of how not to fill that void. 
So let's try and use, he's saying don't fill it with wine. Let's just try it, okay? I know this is silly, I'm being silly, but let's just go with me here, okay? What am I doing? I just wrote the word wine. It's blotting out the void, but it doesn't fit, does it? I just tried to cram W-I-N-E, and it won't fit. Doesn't look right. It doesn't fill all the void. Oh, it goes in there all right. I can I can force it to try and fit, but it won't fill all the right spaces because it's not God. Pick and so pick something. Wine is just a biblical example. What what? Why is wine a good example? Because wine changes the way we feel. Okay, it's it's a stimulant. It can. Make us feel merry if too much of it gets completely drunk. I mean, there's it's a stimulant, okay? Sadly, people use it or any alcohol or any drug or anything, really anything, as a false. I'm looking for a word there and I can't find it. A false something, a being. I just came speechless. Not too many times preachers are speechless, but. It's a false. It won't fill. It won't fit the void. Wine won't fit the void. Sex won't fit the void. Job won't fit the void. Career won't fit the void. So not, But not everything we try and fill the void is bad for us. What about good stuff? Let's, why, why don't let's say, hey, let's try and fill that void with something good. How about medical research? We need people to try and cure cancer. How about people that just dedicate their life to trying to cure cancer and medical research. Or beauty, we hear singing from the choir in there. People that are totally dedicated to music and they're going to learn their craft and they're going to become the greatest piano player or the greatest singer or whatever. And they're, what, they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get so good at it. What are they really? Because they're trying to identify themselves around something. Okay? But it won't fit. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it being a scientist or a musician or anything. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with wine. In and of itself. God created the heavens and the earth. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with anything. It's the way we corrupt things that make them bad. And what this, I think what this illustration, what this scripture is trying to show us is the Apostle Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't get drunk with wine. Or in other words, don't get drunk on your job. Don't get drunk on your skills and gifts. Don't get drunk. Don't get, don't try and stuff all these things into your life that are never going to fill the void. There's only one thing that will fill the void, and that's God. And how does God fill the void? By giving us the filling of his Holy Spirit. Now, next week, well, actually next week we're not going to be here. It's VBS week, which now we call Kids Summer Jam. Okay? Okay, that's a new name. Kids Summer Jam, and it sounds really cool. Okay? KJS. The same thing as VBS, just new name. Um, that happens next week, and so I, I'm helping with that. So off next week, back the next week, okay? But in that third week, week three, we're going to talk about what does it really look like what does it mean? What is what is? So this is right now. We've been talking about theory. We've been talking about history. Uh, but what is that really? What are the technical details of what this looks like? So we'll talk more about the actual filling of the Holy Spirit. But for today, for last week and today, and if you missed last week, I want you to try and go home and listen to the to the class, and I think it'll help introduce you to everything we talked about tonight. For tonight, I think it's enough for us to understand that. There is this opportunity in all of the world for us to truly find out who we are and what it is we're here for. And it is only found when we find how to fill that that void. And we were created with that void. We were created to have that void filled. But because we're born into a sinful fallen world, we have to find our way back to it. But God is so good, he's given the Holy Spirit as he did on the day of Pentecost. That it's for everyone who will believe. It's for everyone that will look. It's for everyone who will try. And God will meet us there. 
and help us to find this life in the Holy Spirit. So much more I could say, um, but but I'll kind of stop there. Uh, think about the name, the name of Jesus Christ, the holy name of God, the name of the Holy Spirit, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say that a lot. We pray that a lot. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can, we can speak of nothing greater. Okay? How do I live up to that name? I got to tell you, there was a point in my life, I'll tell you a closing story. My, uh, the, those of you that know me well know that I used to be Catholic, okay? But I wasn't born in the Catholic Church. Okay, I converted to the Catholic Church as a teenager. A lot of people don't know that about me. But I can tell you the day I, I embraced Catholicism because it was very historical. I was very challenged by that, and I, I loved the study of the theology, and it just felt like it was a filling a void at the time Okay, because I couldn't figure out who I was and where I belonged. And, and as I embraced that, my father... God rest his soul. He's a blessed memory now. My father sat me down at the kitchen table because it looked like I was going to convert. Me, you can't just you say, "Oh, I'm a Catholic." You got to convert. You got to do some things. You got to take some classes. You got to, you know, you got to do some things. My father sat me down, and my father said to me, "Brad." Rarely called me Brad. I'm not sure I ever remember him calling me Brad. I was always son. He said, "Brad." All I have to say is that if you really convert to being a Catholic, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. Wow. I, I just, that was like sticking a dagger in my heart. He didn't mean to, okay? And I don't hold that against, he didn't mean to. He was just a man living out of his own prejudices. He didn't understand Catholics at all. He didn't try to understand them. Um, to him it was looking bad on the family name. My son's going to become a Catholic because that was a word. That's a name, right? The name Catholic means something. And it either means good or bad depending on your perspective. Okay? And trust me, in theological circles, there's a whole lot of enmity around that word. But it's a lot of it's misunderstanding. In fact, all of it's misunderstanding. We're all Catholics. You're a Catholic and you didn't even know it if you're a Christian. You can't be a Christian without being a Catholic. We're not Roman Catholics. There's another name. See how we just qualified it with a name? We're not Roman Catholics. That's what I became. That's what I joined. That's what I converted to. Roman Catholic. Now I would maybe think of myself as a Nazarene Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or as my good friend tells me, I'm truly an Orthocatherine. Okay? I'm part Orthodox, part Catholic, part Nazarene. <laughs> my point is, I'm, I'm being silly with this, but the point is the name meant something. It still does. And we have the opportunity to be children of the greatest name in creation. There is no name above Jesus Christ. There's no name above God the Father. There's no name above the Holy Spirit. That's our privilege. It's the privilege of every person in the world to become a part of God's family. Now, when we get back again, we'll talk more about what that looks like. We're going to go deeper. We've got several classes here. I don't know how many, probably at least uh, six classes for this whole series. But, uh, but we'll get deeper into biblical examples of how that looks lived out. Because right now, after just two weeks, it's just theory to us. Okay? But we're going to start seeing examples as we pull examples out of the scripture of how that's lived out. So I hope you'll hang with the class, listen to the podcast, come back again. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I speak your name, Father, because it's the name your Son, Jesus Christ, gave us to call you. You are Father. That's who you are to us. Whether we realize you're our father or not, you are our father. 
You're the father of everyone. And I want to thank you for offering us your holy name. And that in that name, we could live a life of power. But all the glory goes to you. It goes to your name, not my name, not our name, no one's name but you. So thank you, Father, for that thought tonight as we kind of think about the importance of what's in a name. Just help us to meditate on that and dwell on that as we leave this place until we meet again. For we have gathered in the holy name and we leave this place in the holy name to take your name with us. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.